Team meeting season. You know what it is. Weirder behavior online, offline. Things are happening. I'm JP Chunga. Chris Vernon of The Ringer, Grind City Media. Mr. Memphis giving us an insight on the series, what to expect going forward after game one. Shouldn't go the Jazz's way. We'll talk about the Donovan scenario and also Jordan Clarkson getting the sixth man of the year. Got a lot to do on the show. We'll keep it quick as I want to get you to Vernon to give you the best insight on the series here on Round Ball Roundup podcast. Brought to you by a new playoff sponsor. How about that? Vivint, the nation's number one smart home service provider. They're teaming up with the Utah Jazz during the playoffs. For every Jazz assist, Vivint will send one kid to STEM summer camp. Together, we can match the success on the court with the success in the classroom. Nominate a kid in your area at vivint.com STEM and follow Vivint on social media to see who wins. So, starting off with that Donovan situation. It's weird. It's a clear case of miscommunication between a player and his team. You read in the report by ESPN with two round ball roundup guests, Brian Windhorse, Tim McMahon. There are very standard practices when these type of scenarios happen with big players. Donovan has a power agency, so he's going to have his team. And if you know anything about the Jazz's team, they've got a good group. Ask around the league, hear what they say about Mike Elliott and co., they are widely respected. He's credited for what he did in Phoenix for resurrecting Grant Hill at the end of his years. Shaq had a good season in Phoenix, and a lot of that was because Mike Elliott kept him fresh. They are respected around the league, so this is not one that happens just as a result of them being incompetent. This was a strange scenario where... Two competing interests weren't met with the right communication at this point. And this happens during the regular season, as people have said. This happening now, certainly an egg-on-the-face moment because something happened between Donovan talking to everybody at shoot-around and then what the result was with Woj tipping everyone off, dropping the bomb that he would not be playing that night. I can see a way that Donovan is frustrated at that being the outcome because even players on the team didn't know that he wouldn't be playing that night. They found out after naps. Rudy told us that. So figuring a way to bridge that gap between the two sides, they had a team meeting. They understand Donovan want to be out there. His inclusion's going to change the series. It's not going to look like the way that it did in game one. It just led to a odd moment of awkwardness in that group. I'm sure that we'll learn more as this comes out through the reporting. Windhorse and McMahon are on top of it. Got things coming out in The Athletic as well. I'm glad we're podcasting now for this as it's become a story with the tweets that Donovan sent out, him doing song lyrics, the Jay-Z song, then later tweeting out in the night. I'm glad we're doing the podcast because we were off during that COVID break, during the Donovan and Rudy saga. We were able to talk to Taylor Rooks, and she shined light on what happened between those two. But it's just been a weird 365 days covering this team. And in terms of everything that's gone on over the past year, 
This one can be mended. But clearly weird and clearly affected what happened in game one heading into game two. Donovan, all all indications were that you were going to play in game one. So I, I'm wondering, is there any fear that the same thing would happen for game two? No. As for what happened in the opening game of the series, I still don't see Memphis having a grip on the series. They're a good team, and they provided enough in that first game for me to say that I can get excited about this. Look, when I was looking at the that Friday playing game, and you have two forks in the road, one leads to the Warriors and everything that that brings, Steph Curry in his insane season, Draymond Green, all the history that these two franchises have against each other, and then the other is the Memphis Grizzlies. Yes, Golden State looked more appetizing from a story's perspective. But when you looked at game one and how villain Brooks comes out of nowhere and provides exactly what you need in terms of juice for this, okay, I can get excited for this series. Dylan Brooks scores 31, and he's a cross of Joe Ingles and Jordan Clarkson. Clarkson offensively and Joe Ingles in the way that he talks. He's willing to be the villain. He's shouting at fans. Jaws doing his thing. 26 points. You could tell Dylan Brooks was not going to be intimidated by the crowd or the moment. He was attacking. And that's the thing. When Rudy fouls out, they had no issues attacking Derek Favors. It's not that Favors had a bad game. I mean, Dylan Brooks was making difficult shots. But they were willing to go at him. This team that the Jazz are facing are naive. They don't know what playoffs are. They're just experiencing it for the first time. It's like when Donovan had his first postseason experience and he was taking on Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony. He made his name off of that. That young Memphis team knows exactly what they can do if they upend the Jazz. If they are able to take down the number one seed, they're instantly vaulted up those NBA social rankings, up up in clout. And being young and dumb, they're not intimidated by the moment. They're going to keep attacking, and that's what happened in game one as they weren't afraid of what Utah offered without Donovan Mitchell on the floor. Utah turned the ball over a bunch, and if Donovan's in there, have to think that that goes down as well. And shooting. Like 12 for 47 from three, that's low for a team that shot the ball historically well from beyond the arc, averages 16 makes a game, and they were without their most dynamic offensive player. And he's jumping into the deep end because he's going to be going up against Villain Brooks. He defended Steph Curry well. He's going to be active. He has length. He's going to be talking to him the entire time. That's going to be a fun matchup to watch. It could be pivotal in the series. But with Donovan on the floor, they just are a better team. Over the aggregate during the regular season, Memphis isn't to the level of Utah. They should still wrestle away the series, get it back to 1-1, head to Memphis, and figure things out on the road. This can go 6, but it should be 5 if everything's clicking for the Utah Jazz. How many Utah Jazz players have won it? Zero. One. Oh, who's the one? Man. Yeah. <laughs> Yo. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no, bro. That's true. 
Best thing I saw since the last time we were on the podcast, Joe and Jordan on NBA on TNT. Who says that inside doesn't give the Jazz love? What a moment. What a year for Jordan Clarkson. Quick plug for more podcasts on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network. Ingles Insight next Tuesday. Be ready. Appointment listening. It'll be up in the morning before 9 o'clock, Mountain Time. Jordan Clarkson joins Aaron, Joe, Renee, and they talk about good vibes, what he's all about, how he fits in the locker room. You learn a lot about Jordan Clarkson. He has been a good fit because he can relate to Donovan. He can relate to Rudy. He can relate to a dad like Joe Ingles. He can fit in anywhere, and his career best scoring numbers, 18 points per game. I understand the argument that people were making Joe had better efficiency. But in terms of guys who have won this award, Jordan Clarkson is right there in that same mold for six man of the year. Good posts online about this happening. No weirdo behavior surrounding the six man of the year. Fully deserving for Jordan Clarkson. Very strange. Very strange to have the Donovan situation, the game one loss, and the Jordan news all in the matter of a couple of days. But that's the NBA. Hashtag this league. Let's get to Chris. Make sure you're letting others know that you're listening to the podcast. Five stars. Nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Allow others to come in. Learn about the Memphis Grizzlies with Chris Vernon next. He is Mr. Memphis. The man's been doing radio over there for years. He was covering this team when they were winning 20 games. They weren't very good to where they were grit and grind with Mike Conley, Tony Allen, Marcus Gasol, to now. Mr. Memphis, Chris Vernon. Respect his voice. Podcast about the NBA at the mismatch. Ringer. Check it out. Enjoy conversation with Chris Vernon. If you've got a grand opportunity to catch a game one, it's when Donovan Mitchell's not going to be in that game. And they've been rather competitive in in the games this year. Outside of one, there were two good games against Utah that kind of came down to the wire. Um, and so while the expectations were pretty low for them to win that game one, then it like now, yeah, people are people are all, I mean, it's all anybody's talking about. It's been a nice little contrast, the weird two days for the Jazz, and then those two euphoric days for the Grizzlies. That game one, at least for people here, it provided all the storylines that you need That's to right. sustain from yeah. Dylan Brooks being a crazy villain. Yeah. <sighs> that, that experience I am looking forward to <laughs> the rest of the series because, yes. you know, tonight, the fans are going to be going at him. Oh, He's going to go back at the fans. Absolutely. And it's just going to be a good push and pull. For the uninitiated, explain the Dylan Brooks experience. Yeah, like Dylan Brooks is a guy that if you – Dylan Brooks thinks he is LeBron James, Luka Doncic, <laughs> whoever you want to say, right? Like he's that dude. Yeah. and. Yeah. He wants to take the biggest defensive assignment. He wanted to guard Luka Doncic when they played the Maps. He wants to guard Steph Curry 
when Steph Curry comes to town or, or they have to play him with the season on the line. Whatever the assignment, he also wants to take the big shot and he's willing to put the and he is, you know, as with any player like that that has such a insane level of confidence, the good so greatly outweighs the bad, right? The bad is, yeah, you're gonna get some crazy shots. Um, you're going to get some overzealous play. You're going to get some fouls that maybe not, but especially with a team that can be young and young teams can be uh, front runners, right? Like when things are going great, they've got a swagger about them and they're moving differently. But when things are going bad and they get down big, they can also shake their heads. They can be upset when the refs aren't giving them calls, whatever it may be. And they can be very emotional within the, the span of a game. Um, and he's that guy that when things aren't going real well, his level of play does not change. And so you desperately need a guy like that. When you look around and you see, you know, bad body language or guys feeling like it's not, it's not their night or it's not going their way, there is no night that is not Dylan Brooks' night. You know what I mean? He is, he's there for it. And so if there's a fight, he's going to be right there for it. And you need those kind of guys, you know, he, um, he is brought, he brings so much energy in desperate times. And the other thing is he does have that swagger, that confidence that um, can also irritate the opposing team and the opposing fan base at, at an incredible, at an incredible rate. Check on both of those. I'm yes. sure there were some conflicted feelings just seeing him headbutt Mike Conley, who's a yeah. Memphis legend. Well, like I didn't think it. Was, I mean, I, I don't know. It, like, it was. It wasn't terrible. I mean, these. They're, well, and it they, wasn't. And, and yeah, and I don't think that, that was like. I think that if Dylan Brooks uh, would have run up and he would have tried to bump heads with yeah. like uh, LeBron James or something, it's much different than a guy that he played with and was a rookie on the team with uh, in Mike Conley. He and Mike Conley have a history, and it is not a history of hating each other, right? So that wasn't – that was more playful than it was, you know, and, and, and messing around than it was, I'm here. And, like, if you don't know the guy, I feel like that's different. But he knows the guy. Yeah, and, and you could see that – Mike, you know, knows what Dylan Brooks yes. is all about, knows the it's Dylan Brooks time. Yes. Uh, I do enjoy that that team is so naive in that in a good way because they've never been in the playoffs. They're playing with reckless abandon. You can yep. see Desmond Bain going at George Niang. Yes. I mean, they, they have no back down in them no. because they've never been here. Well, and that comes from those two guys. That comes from Morant, and that comes from Brooks. Because I was even talking okay. to I was I was talking to Tony Allen yesterday, who who was uh, Grizzly great for a long, long time. And he was telling me he's like, "Did you see the post game?" He's like, "You know, Jaws in there, like, man, I've been a killer, you know, and whatever." <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you know, and Dylan's like, you know, we're just playing our game. We're not backing down from anybody. He's like, man, those young dudes, you know, because a veteran looked at that and was like. You won a playoff game. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and, and they'll learn as time goes on. They'll look back at that and realize that, but it speaks to the naivety that you were, that you were speaking of. But 
That's really how they're – like, I promise you, John Moran and Dylan Brooks think they should win this series. Yeah. They think that. And that's really all that matters, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's what makes it such an intriguing series because yeah. they, they aren't going to back down on a team that has the number one seed or, or whatever. Do you see things changing now that Jazz have Donovan? It's going to be a Donovan-Dylan Brooks matchup. How do you yep. see the rest of this going with what we have? So what I would say is the Grizzlies were able to, to win that game one, and it was a really good game. I am well aware the Jazz missed an immense amount of threes um, in that game. They also had Rudy Gobert foul out of that game. They had Conley in foul trouble too. I mean, th- those guys got four pretty early in the game. Um, they were also, look, the best team all year long when they had their guys. And they were generally healthy throughout most of the year too. And there's part of me that, you know, and th- and I get to come by this honest because Kevin uh, O'Connor and I talked about this on the mismatch um, several weeks ago when he had written an article and done a video about the Jazz and chronicled how their three-point attempts had gotten extreme as compared to last year, that their shot a very good percentage last year, but the volume wasn't up there with the other teams. And this year they matched that. Not only did they increase the amount of volume of threes, their percentage also went up, which was pretty spectacular to pull that off. Um, typically, the more you shoot, theoretically, the less your average is going to be. And in fact, they shot more and were better at it. And the question is, how much does that hold in playoff basketball, right? Like that when a team is, when it's not one-offs, when a team is just prepared for you, is the nights that teams shoot 42 threes and they knock down 17 of them, they're going to bury you. When they make 11 of them, they're not. And they might lose. And if not, you're, you're in a real game. We saw this with Houston. And, and obviously throughout the season, more times than not, the Jazz were the team that buried you. Um, the Donovan thing's fascinating because I, I don't know. You would know better than me, JP. Like the – You've seen a lot around the league of the integration of very important players into a team and it not be as smooth as you would necessarily think. And I say that because of what I've seen with the Grizzlies going through at first with Justice Winslow and then, which they've abandoned completely, and and now Jaron Jackson Jr., which still is not the the player he has not shown to be what we all know he is and the transition has been difficult because you get used to playing away guys have different roles and it's been over a month with donovan now it very well may be they've got so many minutes logged with him and he can just be a plug and play and it's gonna just keep on rocking like it always was or there could be you know a an amount of transition that needs to take place where guys settle in to what their role is with Donovan out there on the court, because you've even seen the Lakers, you know, with, with AD coming back and then LeBron, it's not, it has not been smooth. You saw the bulls, they increased their talent, but they added a guy that's high volume in Vucevic and it went to hell, you know, like even before Levine got hurt, it wasn't, 
working. And it's when a guy that is missing is a role player, that's an easy one to just reintegrate. When a guy is your leading shot taker or a guy is certainly one of your biggest guys, that one can take a little more time. And so that's what that's what I think you look out for the most. And the other thing is what is he that guy? Is he that a hundred percent Donovan Mitchell, who's an extremely athletic player that beats you off the bounce, or is he a wounded, you know, Donovan Mitchell uh, coming in, who's gutting it out, which is still a great, great player, but is he the guy that, you know, because I'll just say, like you saw on, Friday, or on Sunday night, Bogdanovich was the guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Bogdanovich, is Bogdanovich that guy with Donovan in the lineup? He might be some nights. But, I mean, there was no question. He put the team on his back, you know? And that's how roles change as, as time goes on. Um, and you get used to this is how we have to operate when this guy's not here. It might just be a smooth transition. And he might just be back in the fold and be back to that team maybe humming all along and not miss a beat because they've logged so many minutes together and it's natural to them. But it is a thing, and it has been a thing with other teams. It is intriguing to see him play alongside Mike Conley, how long it took from yep. last year to the bubble to now where they actually have it humming and it's working, coinciding with each other. And it's been more of Donovan on the ball. Yep. With with Mike being off of it and him adjusting to that role, the value that they have alongside that is the democracy of the offense, being mm -hmm. able to, to have Boyan have that night, have a Jordan Clarkson game, I'm sure, that will occur in one of these playoff series for them, yep. a, a potential Mike Conley, as you know. Them being able to get that from one of the other players uh, aside from it all being on Donovan, yeah, no, it's only it's only that typically when and especially for this last month because he got hurt what uh, April sixteenth I think is yeah. what I read. Okay, Indiana. so you talk, yeah, so you're talking about a month. Yeah. Like everybody's role changes. It's just the way it is. Everybody's role changes, and so that was what happened when you're trying to reintegrate Jaron Jackson. I mean, I thought, hey, they played the whole year with him last year. They played the beginning of the bubble with him last year. He'll just They'll just fall back into the way they were. And they still haven't come close to falling back because Kyle Anderson's a different guy now. And Dylan Brooks is a different guy now. And, uh, and the guys off the bench are different guys now. And your role changes when you've got one of your great players back out on the court. Um, I'm much more confident that uh, for uh, on Donovan's side, though, because I know the ty type of player he is. And I also know kind of how their team runs um, and they do share the ball so well. And they're trying to whip that thing around and get the open corner three and you got to try to deal with it. It just seems as if they were in a holding pattern for him towards yeah. the end of the year where, where so. it was a little, a little listless against the Timberwolves or in other yeah. games where they, they really just needed him to get back on the floor in this series. It obviously changes with him, him yeah. back in the lineup. Mike's stories, yep. having seen him so many times, was there one that sticks out for you? Best playoff memory? Is it him breaking his face and oh, playing with the mask? Yeah, what, yeah. what is the standout for Mike? I mean, whatever is, whatever is second is so far 
down the list. It's insane. I mean, he broke his face. He's in the hospital. Mom and dad don't want him to play. Wife doesn't want him to play. You know, I'm talking about these are the closest people in your life. He is a big time family guy. And he is in this deathly pain um, going going through hell in the in the hospital he he shows up at a playoff game he's got this mask on people are wondering you know god are we ever uh, will we get to see him is it just is our playoff hopes dashed completely they were able to win uh the rest of that portland series without him but then they went to golden state they played in game one got run nick calathis um had to start the game he had zero 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 points in game one. And in game two, Conley, they announced he's going to play. He's going to get out there with the broken face, with this mask on. And he shows up and they win game two on the road in Golden State. And if you watch that game back, I mean, he doesn't miss a shot for a long time. In that game, it was, I mean, it was the night. I'm getting chills, no lie, thinking about this. <laughs> it was one of the most unbelievable. Uh, he had no business playing in that series. And as the series went on, they ended up losing that series. But he had no business, and he had no business playing in that game, too. But it's one of the most unbelievable sports performances I've ever seen in my life, truly. Like his face was not healed. And to go out, on the road against the best team in the world and then not miss any shots. And like the, the level of inspiration that that gave not only that team, but everybody in the city, like he, that's, that's legend stuff. He will forever be a legend in Memphis. And it's in no small part because of that night. What's the reception going to be oh, like? God. When he comes they back? love him. They love him. They will never not love him. Never. Never. They will know people, people, you know, and now they're going to give him a standing ovation when he's announced that we're past that. We've done the tribute videos. We've done the welcome back, Mike. You know, everybody loves Mike. Mike Conley, you know, you'll see him around here during the off season. He comes back and visits people and friends and whatever else, but they're not going to be like, cheering the guy by Eddie Beads at this point. He is the opponent at this point, but that that love, like that's gonna that's gonna run deep forever. That's not something that will ever that will ever change. And I think that's you know it's reciprocated by him too, right? Um in terms of I think he's in a weird spot right now, you know, being the opponent because he spent so many years, you know, bleeding uh for the team. I, you know, and, and I don't, I, I don't know. There's not many that honestly like get booed anyway. There's certainly former players. I wouldn't say Powell got it some with the Lakers. Rudy might have got uh, Rudy Gay might have gotten it some, but those weren't like universally beloved players by any means. But the guys like Mark Gasol, Mike Conley, Tony Allen, Zebo, I mean, those core four guys will forever be love no matter what by the way let me ask you a question what the hell were they booing grayson allen for yeah i don't they, know what that was all about they traded him i know <laughs> he 
didn't choose to leave. Wait, he didn't wait. choose to leave it up. I didn't understand. They're I mean, booing the face. him. I mean, I thought they like. I mean, they didn't dislike it when he was there, right? It makes feelings for what he did at Duke. Uh, Duke? What? It's strange. When you leave Utah, doesn't matter if it's good circumstances, bad circumstances. They they will get after you. It, it doesn't. Is there matter any? Is there any former Utah player that comes back that they cheer? Jay Crowder. Oh, but everybody! Every, every yeah, we I mean, do too. Everybody, everybody loves Jay Crowder. Everybody yeah. loves Jay Crowder. That's funny. Every team. He goes back to Miami. He gets cheered. He goes back to Boston. Yeah. He gets, everybody loves Jay Crowder. I wish that we might still be a Jay him. Crowder thing. No, I wish we stay still had him. But it's just that type of guy. Everybody loves that type of guy, right? The guy that you feel like every single night is would rather die on the court than lose the game. Everybody needs those guys too, and they have a profound effect on your team. Well, and he's quite the character. That's funny. Jay Crowder being the guy that jazz fans cheer is hilarious. He's a character. Going into post games, one day uh, we went in, I think it might have been the Christmas game against Portland, and he's wearing a smoking jacket. A little velvet maroon tint. He he looked great out there. Well, there's nobody. I was trying to think who else of you guys traded. There hasn't been that many. I mean, obviously Hayward doesn't get a good response. No. Uh, the Crowder the Crowder thing. There's not that many. Uh, Grayson Allen. Uh, Ennis Cantor gets brutalized every time he comes here. Really. Brutalized. They, they will. They still are mad that he requested a trade away from here. Oh, Cantor. Yeah. And and why why Ennis Cantor? Why does he get that's the vitriol? Funny. It makes no sense. It's all right. It's that's, that's what fandom is. What about that's Alec Burks? Would he get a would he would he get cheers? He he'll get more booze than cheers. Really? Yeah. If he had 16 in the fourth quarter the other night for the Knicks. I was like, what in the world? <laughs> Tough yeah. scene. Tough scene. They'll do it to anybody. Go. Well, hold on. Before the, before you move on, do uh, what would you say is the level of confidence from the average Jazz fan right now? Like a 9 out of 10? Uh, for the rest of the series, yeah. 9 out of 10, the three's not falling. Rudy needs to not foul out. And with Donovan on the aggregate, this team wins the series. It's a better team. Yeah, well, they, they just a are a better team. They're a better team all year long. They are a thorn, not that the Grizzlies can't make this a longer series than it should be, but they're very confident here. I do think there will be a game six in Memphis. I do. I just yeah, I know, what, I know what this place is like. And Saturday night and Monday night being 8.30 Central games, and we are right next to Beale Street, that crowd is going to be raucous. Like kids, and, and especially with a young team, they're gonna feed. They they are gonna be so amped up that they'll get one of them for sure. So I do think that we'll have a we'll have a sixth game in Memphis. Um, but that's fascinating to hear. All right, uh, what about the other series? What do you want to know? The other series, I want to know uh, what the hell's going on with the Clippers? Why every single playoff series, mm-hmm. I'm Charlie Brown trying to kick the football in seeing this team. They have a lot of talent. Yeah, but they're unable to get wins in the playoffs. Five straight losses in the postseason. How do they turn this around against Luca when he's playing like this? Twofold. Um, first, I think Ty Lue is doing a pretty terrible job. I do. 
uh, because there are some teams that I think they just don't have the goods in order to win. That's not so with the Clippers. Um, they have the goods. They have no idea how to use said goods. Um, you watch last night and you see a team that knows exactly what they are. We were talking about playing roles, right? Like, here's my role. Here's your role. And here's, and here's our guys that we're rolling with. They don't have they, – they've got their eight in Dallas. And they all know when they drive to the gym last night, here's what I am expected to do. I'm expected to rebound and move the ball. I'm expected to – right? And then this is how I play off of Doncic. Whereas the Clippers, they, they got no idea. They're playing Reggie Jackson 30 minutes. They're playing Terrence Mann, who was like a big part of their team the last part of the season and real energy. He's, he doesn't get a first-half minute, and then he's playing like the last 15 of the game. Serge Ibaka is in witness protection. They spent a lot to get Rondo there, I thought, to be a voice, but you neuter him because you're putting him on the bench, and now you know he's not going to be happy. So you have to, as a coach, massage this thing where guys know what their role is, and that is how you get – a level of content but when you get to the point where every, you got everybody in your locker room and they can all sit around and go what the hell's the coach doing what the hell's the coach doing right there's two guys that are happy with their role right two there's two they can do whatever they want the rest of these guys who's happy right now with what they're with what they're asked to do so they don't know who their guys are they spent the fortune on luke Kennard. you go look at luke Kennard's numbers they're great he doesn't play him, not a minute. And I'm like, bro, you got Luke Kennard, you got Serge Ibaka, you got all these guys on your team. They don't even play for you. You're playing Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris and, you know, Pat Bev. And I, it's just bizarre. So it's like, I actually think they have the roster. I think they have the guys, but they don't know, A, how to use them at all, and B, they don't have a voice, right? Like I used to joke last year that it's a problem when, like, if you've got Kawhi and that's your best guy, like, you, you need the Kyle Lowry's of the world. You need somebody that's going to say this, this is not happening tonight. You got somebody that's got to call that meeting. You got somebody that's going to stand up in the locker room after a terrible loss. Um, and they don't really have that guy because – Again, none of those guys really have a role. You know, they bring in Rondo, but it, but he's not even the starter. Is that supposed to be Pat Bev? Pat Bev, he doesn't play well enough. He's getting yelled at at Luca that he's too effing small in the middle of the game. You know, what's he going to stand up and say to anybody? And so you don't have that guy. And Kawhi just kind of, you know, he is who he is. He's going to play. He's going to play his heart out. But after the game, he's going to put on his sweats and he's going to walk out of the arena, you know, probably not talk to anybody, much less the team, you know, he's disappointed. And so not having some kind of vocal leader that plays a big role on the team um, hurts. And I also think that they have no idea what they are and all that stuff gets exposed when you, you know, when when catastrophe hits and catastrophe is losing the first team, two games of a series on your home court. 
and the best player in the series is on the other team. Lou taking a couple of games to decide Paul George and Kawhi Leonard should guard the best player on the opposing team. Very concerning. Very concerning. Outrageous. Outrageous. I mean, they're a mess, man. They are a mess. Because that Dallas team, like, Luka is absolutely unbelievable. He is everything, though. He's everything. And they haven't come close. This guy, that that, that one-footed three-pointer was the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen in my life. It's just like, I'm just playing out here. Like, I'm not worried about you people. It's That's crazy to me. That's crazy. That's the kind of thing Dylan Brooks would not allow to happen, I promise you. <laughs> the next time he's getting kicked in the nuts or something, something's happening. But he ain't doing that crap. You ain't, you ain't embarrassing me like that. You crazy. Take a one Jake Crowder. Yeah. Jake Crowder would say something. Not happening. You ain't taking a one-legged three on Jake Crowder. You out of your mind. <laughs> that series featuring Jay Suns. Yep. Is it curtains for them if if Chris Paul is yes. this injured and, and yes. hampered? Yes. Yes. I mean, he is it. He is the yeah. engine. He is the reason they're there. You know? Um and you know, sometimes uh when when somebody goes down, it's like, okay, what is the drop off to the next guy. But the drop off from Chris Paul to whoever you have to put there is just way too significant. You know, some teams you can lose guys. Sometimes you can even lose stars and you can get by because your next guy, he's not going to replace all of that production, but he might be able to replace 70% of it. There is nobody that's going to replace 20% of what Chris Paul brings to the table. And I, I hate it for Phoenix. I hate it because they were going to be a really, I don't think they were going to win the series, but they were going to push them to the brink. Yeah. You know, because the Lakers haven't looked good in a long time. And they keep on playing Drummond I know. when they shouldn't, you know, it doesn't make sense. I agree. Is their next test going to be in the conference finals or the finals? Uh, well, I guess. Do you believe in, in Portland or the Nuggets to challenge them? No. Yeah. No. I'm Neither there with those. Yeah, the, the Nuggets don't have the guards. You know what I mean? Uh, the Nuggets don't have the guards. And the Portland does not have the bigs. You know? You got to have, have one or the other. You know? Or you got to have at least something to get by in both but i mean you just saw as soon as nurkic got in foul trouble in game two i mean they can't they can't stop a a, a sixth grade team portland like he is that important like if nurkic can and, and then because they brought in your boy Cantor, and it's <laughs> i mean that's the layup line it's tough when you're playing Cantor and mellow oh. defensively uh, oh. at least alongside each other especially when you got two little guards Three, really? Because Powell's playing there out there too, you know? The guy like Covington is supposed to be the guy that like shutting people down, but he's not big either. I, I think people think Robert Covington is bigger than he is. He's not, he does not have the size to swallow up other players and shut them down completely. I thought of the other player that got an ovation from the crowd when he came back. It was Derek Favors, but obviously he's back. Uh... 
He deserved it too. I love favors. I do. I think I tell you this. You know who missed him? New Orleans. Bad. Oh yeah. Oh, he yeah. was great for them. He was. Go look at their numbers last year when they had favors and when they didn't. It was crazy. Like they really missed him. And I don't think that people around the league, I think, you know, you know what he brings to the table, but I think a lot of people would scoff at that. That is absolutely true, you know? And sometimes guys like that can have a bigger impact on your team uh, than, because he was good next to Zion too. Like they, they, they can have a better, bigger impact on your team uh, just because of the type of play they are or the role they play on your team. And he knows who he is. Derek Favors ain't jacking up threes. And Derek Favors, like, when is the last time Derek Favors took a shot and you were like, what the hell is he doing? He knows who he is, you know? He does what he does. And there is an unbelievable value to that in a league that has so many guys that have no idea what they should be doing, right? Um, he knows exactly what he's supposed to do. And I've always liked him. He's, he's energy, too. That's why they love him. They call yeah. him the best backup big in the league. I, I would not. I, I, I was trying to think around the league. I mean, unfortunately, I might take Marcus All right now, but he shouldn't be their backup. He shouldn't be their backup. Is what I'm saying. He shouldn't yeah. be their backup. Yeah. <laughs> Serge Ibaka too, for that matter. I'd like to have him. Ridiculous. Next time we'll get you a call-in from Rudy on the next time that you're on the show. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time. You bet. 